When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. This is Raise Your Voice as part of the D-Raise Bay Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brett Rutherford, and we're back today. It's kind of like an instant reaction podcast because the Rays have signed right-handed pitcher Zach Eflin to a three-year, $40 million, yes, count it, $40 million contract. And to talk about that deal and uh, some of the other off-season happenings it's it's darby robinson darby i mean you're practically on every week now uh, you're back to to react to to this signing and kind of put it into perspective raise your voice a little bit so i've got to ask you i mean what what was your first thought uh, when you you saw it come across your timeline that the rays had signed zach eflin i was pretty surprised pretty shocked but also very quickly immediately it just sort of makes total sense it just, it's such a perfect raise move. It's such a quintessentially raise move. Maybe not the, the length and money per se, but I think that we can get into in terms of the market rate right now for pitchers is, is extremely reasonable. Um, that is the market. Like that is, it is, yes, $40 million is the largest the raise have ever paid any free agent. And to specify or to clarify, that's in terms of the total value of the contract they paid. Charlie Morton, fifteen million a year over two years, with an option, with twenty million dollar option for for a third, and um, that was the highest in terms of average annual value. And they've also obviously signed um, much larger extensions with guys like Evan Longoria, Kevin Kiermaier, Wander Franco, um, and, and Tyler Glasnow was pretty high up there too. But going out and getting a free agent like this is is kind of not unprecedented in the history of this franchise. Um, but I think it's more of a sign of, okay, this is where the market's at. And mm-hmm. if a guy like Eflin is going to get three years and $40 million, uh, that probably means the Rays were going to be priced out of a lot of other starting pitching that hit free agency, including, <laughs> including Jacob DeGrom. The, uh, the, 24 hours or so of the Rays being in on the Jacob DeGrom sweepstakes uh, was very fun. And I'm sure they're still in. I'm sure the one-year offer of like one-year 45 yeah. million or something is still out there um, yeah. if he wants it. that The Rays will figure it out, right? If they have to trade uh, Jeffrey Springs to make room for Jacob DeGrom, I'm pretty sure they'll be able to you know, I, I'm pretty sure uh, Bendix will be able to sleep at night um, if that's if that's how it comes to it. But no, I, I think when it comes to like, you know, the big free agent guys like that, I think the Rays are always a good. There's an article just recently on, on D-Race Bay. I think Danny posted it about how kind of the Rays are this uh, they sort of like market um, set. They 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 don't allow teams to uh, get screwy with players and undercut them because the Rays will be like, listen. Here's your average. This is your one-year deal. So 
that multi-year deal has to be based off of this at least. So like, they're always kind of there to kind of keep everybody in check. Um, but yeah, like you said, like, I don't think Jacob deGrom is taking a one-year deal. Um, you don't, he's going to get a ton of money. And you just saw this with the market though, recently, Matt Boyd signed a one-year $10 million deal. Uh, Mike Clevenger, who's been injured and I think sporadically effective, I should say for the last like few years, uh, he got one year, 12 million, I think. And so this for Eflin, it's, it's 13 million average, but it's 11 million over the next two years. And then jumping up to 18 million on that last third year, um, extremely reasonable. I mean, that's the, that is the market rate for, for these type of pitchers and maybe actually cheaper. Honestly, if, if I'm looking at like, do I spend $12 million for a one-year deal on Mike Clevenger or 10 million on uh, Matt Boyd, or do I sign Eflin for about 11 million for the first two years, but ha- lock that into three-year deal. I don't know what a buyout would be if the third year, if it has one, but if you're committing three years, 40 versus those one-year deals, Eflin's a, a better pitcher. He's just, he's a better pitcher than those guys. I want him more. And I think the ceiling is much higher. Um, so I think not only is it market rate, I think it's actually a really could be a very uh, could be a big steal uh, very soon, even if Eflin is just exactly who he's been uh, the last few years. Well, uh, injuries, though, are a concern with with this deal as well. Eflin has missed some time. He's had some shoulder problems, which I mean, any injury to the arm for a pitcher, obviously not good. Um, Shoulders can be obviously incredibly serious. But I think you mentioned the upside looking at his numbers in recent years. We'll look at 2022. So the Phillies used him in, in a unique role. He made he pitched in 20 games, but made just 13 starts. I had a 404 ERA. His FIP down at 356, though. So um, that doesn't always, you know, correlate to his, you know, his next year's ERA is going to be better. But it is a good indication that he probably did pitch a little better than his ERA indicates. And you take into account the Phillies defense, which was really the talking point of all last offseason, that they just went all in on bats and didn't care who was playing the outfield. Um, And they ultimately went to the World Series, so they did something right. And uh, Zach Eflin was a big part of that and was used in the bullpen in October. But... I think everybody, I mean, the years, the dollars, just the type of pitcher he is and where the Rays are at, fully expect him to be a starter. With that being said, you know, you you get through the season, he might be used in different roles. You get into the postseason, he might be used in different roles, especially when you talk about the rotation he's joining um, with Tyler Glass now, Jacob, or Tyler Glass now, Shane McClanahan. Um, Just penciling in Jacob Degrom subtly. Might as well. Uh, (laughs) Uh, But he he is a starter. Like this is a he is not being signed as a reliever on a forty million dollar contract. Well, and he and he's been a fairly effective starter for his career so far. I mean, I think I think yeah, he's absolutely coming in as a starter. Um, Last year in the postseason, it is nice to see him be so effective as a reliever. I mean, he was. One of the most trusted is pretty much Eflin and uh, Sir Anthony Dominguez is the two most trusted arms. I know uh, Alvarado and uh, Robertson got a lot of use, but it pretty much end of games was Eflin or Sir Anthony Dominguez. So the Phillies really relied heavily on him. Uh, 10 innings, 12 Ks, under four ERA. So very solid. And he 
pitched against only good teams. Like he, I mean, he pitched against the Houston Astros and that lineup is killer and he was relied upon to get like good outs. So I, I think that's a nice element to it. Cause there's always going to be, you know, that postseason potential where you can't, you don't need to start five guys. You don't need a five man rotation. Somebody is going to be used in a different way. Uh, so that's nice that he has that ability. Um, but yeah, no, this is coming in. He is a starter. And I think right now, if you're looking at this, I say you pencil him in as a nice training camp fight with Drew Rasmussen for the number three starter on the team. I, I completely agree. And uh, personally, I like Rasmussen a little bit more. Like, I think I like that stuff a little bit better, but I I'll be honest. I haven't watched many of Zach Eflin's starts. I've known that he's existed for about a decade now, but I uh, haven't really dug into what he's capable of, but doing some research today throws a lot of different pitches. And I think mm-hmm. what I'm interested in is seeing what the Rays, and I'm sure this is part of their pitch to him to get him as a free agent, because again, it was reported today that, uh, you know, after the signing was announced or leaked that, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, that the Boston Red Sox offered the same amount of money. And so you look at the amount of the amount of pitches he throws, sinker, curveball, four-seam fastball, cutter, and then a, mixes in a changeup and a slider occasionally. Um, but really a you know a true five-pitch guy. The sinker he throws 40% of the time and the curveball 20% of the time. I wonder what the Rays and in, in, in obviously the four-seam fastball he uses up in the zone a lot more when he goes to that. Uh, I wonder if the Rays look at one or two of those pitches and say, really focused on that and, and, and really try to, mm-hmm. you know, become a two or three pitch guy, which I think they've determined, you know, their starters don't need to have four plus pitches. I think that's kind of the way baseball is going. Um, the moving away from the mentality that you just need to have a wide array of pitches. If you've got two or three really good pitches, you can be an effective starter at the big league level. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and, and the thing is with Eflin is he commands all of those pitches very well. It's just a matter of, what is the right mix and and what works off of others best? It's not, I I think that's, what's really cool about getting somebody like Eflin and and the Rays in particular, you know, anytime the Rays or the San Francisco giants sign a pitcher, uh, especially ones that are kind of been around the block a time or two, it's always like, Ooh, interesting. Like what are they, what? Cause those two teams just seem to get the most out of uh, pitchers and especially target some guys that are maybe under the radar and, and get the most out of them and the talents there. And with Eflin, like I said, he doesn't need to do much of anything different, right? He's not like, this is a, a, a buy low. It's not even like a Jeffrey Springs who was a reliever who was DFA'd and, you, and now he's a starter. And I don't think anybody really saw that coming, but there is a lot of, there was a lot of talent there. Like his changeup was great. There was some raw stuff that just needed to be put together. Eflin has a solid back end of the rotation starting portfolio. The last few years, he's been really, really solid. But there is a nice ceiling there. There's a really high ceiling. The the sinker has a lot of good movement. He commands multiple pitches well. He's always had a very low walk rate. And he has done a really cool job of just basically working around the zone with his different pitches, changing expectations, and keeping batters guessing, getting a lot of those grounders and weak contact, something that Drew Rasmussen has definitely started to do a lot more, especially later in the season. He started to kind of work in a 
almost a bit of a sinker action to, to his uh, fastball and got a lot of ground balls, got a lot of weak contact. And while the K's weren't very high, they were still like getting him later into the game and, and very successful later into the game. So as somebody like Eflin, the, the repertoire is there, the command is there. And I think the, the pitch theory is there about what he's doing. I think going to a team like the Rays actually will be tremendously helpful for him because they can kind of help work with him. He already has a lot of the raw materials. Yeah. He's already used them to solid success. It's just a matter of maybe getting, you know, the 95th percentile out of, uh, out of certain things. It's, he's been doing well. If you can just get him a little bit extra, like a, a couple of percentage points here around the edges to make everything just a little bit more effective. I think that could be huge. This signing kind of reminds me, and we, we were kind of talking about in the Slack a little bit, way back, not Charlie Morton when the Rays signed him, but Charlie Morton when the Astros signed him, a Pittsburgh Pirate who was pretty much just a journeyman pitcher, um, a journeyman with one team, I guess. I mean, he was pitched for Atlanta briefly and then with Pirates, but he was basically just like a kind of, adequate pitcher who had some really rough years and some mediocre years. And had at that point when Houston signed him, he had a career 4.54 ERA and a 4.10 FIP solid. He had about eight win uh, fan wins above replacement in about 900 innings. So just like very much a slightly better than replacement level pitcher, but there was a great curveball in there. There was a pretty good fastball in there to play off of it. There was some command. There was a pitch mix and there was a lot of intelligence and it took potentially going to Houston and getting them to figure out how to max out on the fastball, max out on the curveball and the spin rate. We use the pitches that he has to better effect to take him from a league average pitcher to a perennial uh, all-star caliber guy, somebody that put together some tremendous seasons. Um, I think that's a high bar, right? That's like the best case scenario for somebody like Eflin. But I think that is something that you should look at as sort of the template of solid guy has a lot of materials to use, might need the right team to help uh, work with him to get to that ceiling, to reach the ceiling that is already there. I am kind of curious, again, going back to his pitch mix, he really became a, a sinker baller in between 2019 and 2020. Going into that COVID year, his strikeout rate went through the roof. Uh, he was at 18.3% in 2019, went up to 28.6% in 2020, when his sinker usage went from 21.9% to 51.7%, and he really abandoned that four-seam fastball um, over time, though, he's kind of, you know, over the last three seasons, he hasn't been as much of a high strikeout guy. He does strike out a good amount of batters. He, do, he doesn't walk many batters, um, but has really become a, a soft contact guy. And uh, he, he he's still throwing the sl uh, sinker a good bit, a little bit less. He's making more use of his breaking balls. So, again, I don't know. I mean, maybe it was that first year where he became a sinker baller where hitters just had a hard time figuring him out maybe it was just the covid year i don't expect him to be a guy that has a you know a 28.6 percent k rate again but if you can get him into that range where you get a little closer to 25 than he has been the last couple of years 
and you're still getting that soft contact, I mean, this is a really good pitcher. Now, again, like I, I still think there is some risk here. There's risk when you sign a free agent. There's a reason they're a free agent. You're you're overpaying for them typically um, because there are other bidders on the market. But I think this is one of those calculated risks taken by the Rays. And when it comes to pitching, I mean, I, I don't trust. There's not a single organization I trust more to go out and make a signing like this than the Tampa Bay Rays. We knew the Rays were going to come into the season or into the offseason and sign a veteran starting pitcher. You know, they do that every year. Uh, Michael Walker, Rich Hill a couple of years ago, Corey Kluber last year. Zach Eflin is a veteran, but he's still 28. He was actually one of the youngest starting pitchers on the market. Um, he's kind of, he's kind of, I, I was joking about this, but like, I feel like he's got the like jerks and pro far style effect where it's like they're around for like a decade. And then you're like, how old is this guy? Like 32, 33. And it's like 26. What? How? I mean, I, he, he's been playing forever. He was on the money ball A's and suddenly he's still like 26. Like what is happening? Uh, no, but like Eflin's only 28. That, I mean, he came up young. He was only 21, 22. So he's been around for a while. He has a, a lot of uh, major league time, obviously a lot of shorter time. He's kind of bounced around a little bit between the minor leagues and injuries, but he's been around a bit. He's still very young though. So there's so much, there's so much room for, we, I, like, we don't know exactly what the future Zach Eflin looks like, but the fact that the Rays didn't go out and sign, I don't know, Corey Kluber again for like a one year, you know, 15 million or 14 million or $13 million deal, something like that, but actually went out and targeted a guy to get like a multi-year deal. That definitely suggests to me Again, not to just like put all the faith in in Neander and Bendix and be like, well, the Rays did it. You know, I love this move for the Rays. Who did they get? Who did they give up? But but when it comes to pitchers and especially a team, again, that doesn't spend a ton of money to commit the largest contract in free agent history for the Tampa Bay Rays to a pitcher, that's a good sign. That's something. That's saying that, that uh, Stu opened the pocketbook up that Neander and Bendix and the, and the front office team was like, yeah, this guy, we want him. It also probably helps that like, you know, you see the Boston Red Sox and Heim Bloom also being like, we want him. This is the valuation. Uh, Kylie McDaniel on ESPN projected him to be a, get a three-year, $39 million deal. So the valuation was there, but it is interesting that the Rays targeted a multi-year deal uh, for a pitcher. And, and that to me suggests somebody to take a look at to not to not just sort of go oh you know they're going to sign like another rich hill type who's solid you know can maybe get you 120 150 innings but to see a guy that can maybe get you 150 innings of really high quality and and that's sort of kind of to that charlie morton point something houston did with him you're not looking to get 200 innings don't worry about that you're not getting nine inning eight nine innings per outing you're not trying to get 200 innings we wanted you to go out there and give you the best five innings you can give we don't want seven okay innings that's something that charlie morton had said that kind of changed his career was i'm going to go max out and maybe i only go four innings maybe i only go five innings but i'm going to give you great four and five innings rather than save some stuff try to get through seven but be kind of mediocre 
And that's something that I think with Eflin, with the Rays, they're not going to look at him. I know it's always, it's become a meme, but like two times through the order, but like, they're not going to look at him to say, we need to stretch. We need to, to, to steal innings, be an innings eater. I think the signing and this contract and just looking at his repertoire, he's somebody that I think you look at, try to get you five great innings and then turn it over to one of the league's best bullpens. Yeah. I mean, I think this is a very exciting signing for the Rays. Um, I, I, in terms in terms of the pitching side, I think like Rays fans are expecting more of a quote unquote like splash on the on the hitting side of things. Maybe a first baseman or, or someone that can plug into the lineup, but a left-handed hitting outfielder. Brandon Nimmo has been talked about a lot. Uh, Jose Abreu was mentioned before he signed with Houston. There's there's been a few other names, some so more names that you know the the novice baseball fan might recognize. Guys that have been all stars. Uh, Zach Eflin's not that, but I think, like you said, for a pitcher, he's going into his age 29 season. You know, you, he's probably not in his, you know, he's not in his prime yet. Um, so to get him on a free agent deal three years, that's huge. Um, and, and I think it is really interesting before we get into how it kind of sets the market, not only the starting pitching market that the Rays are now seemingly out of, although I guess they could trade from within. Um, let's talk about what this does to that Rays starting rotation. So you've got um, Tyler Glass now and Shane McClanahan. I don't know, 1A, 1B. I, th- I think Glass now is still better, like if I'm ranking them. I know McClanahan had a great season, but let's not forget that Tyler Glass now, like every, whenever he's healthy, he's top five right-handed pitcher, starting pitcher in yeah. baseball. Um, Shane McClanahan, r- Shane McClanahan right there. Uh, then I think, I mean, I put them almost all on the same tier, Maybe Rasmussen and Eflin in a in a tier above, um, but Rasmussen, Eflin, and, and then right there is, is Jeffrey Springs, reliever turned starter. Um, and I think that really is things happen. This won't be your 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 five throughout the whole year. Someone's going to get hurt, but going into the season, that's your starting rotation. And and that's an amazingly good starting rotation. Like again, maybe the name brand value isn't there for some fans, but they'll they'll realize it very soon when the Rays come into town and any three games that the Rays show up in your town, they're going to throw three extremely tough pitchers and there's going to be not a lot of runs scored. And that's, and that's kind of the thing, right? The Rays are built around pitching, run prevention, defense. That's, that's the name of the game. And they do need to improve on offense, but if the other team doesn't score, you don't need a lot of runs to win a lot of games. <laughs> so that's the key is if you are stopping him. But yeah, I mean, a rotation of, of you have two Cy Young caliber pitchers at the top in McClanahan and Glass now. Uh, at their best, they could win multiple Cy Youngs in their careers. That's, again, it's, it's that level. Whether they do that or not, that's a whole other story. But it's you have two guys that you could give the ball to game one of any playoff series. You could give that to a one game winner go home game, which I don't think even exists anymore because 163 is gone and the wild card's gone. But if those existed, if it's a game seven, if it's a game five or a game three, they're a guy that you can give that ball to and feel very confident about. Rasmussen and Eflin, that, that tier springs really, really solid. And then what's also great at what this move does is it pumps everybody down. So right now in Durham, with options still, so they can even do a shuttle. You have guys like Josh Fleming, who who have potential 
who who can either be play the the kind of Ryan Yarbrough role of come up and eat innings if needed. Uh, but he's Fleming's been a guy that feels like a like a, a tweak away here and there from really unlocking something. Whether he ever does it or not is another story. But he's there. Yanni Chirinos coming back from from injury, who was very effective pre. Uh, the surgery and, and, and big arm injury. You have Luis Patino, who's still like 23, who's still like one of the youngest guys in the organization. Uh, and then Taj Bradley, who is one of the top pitching prospects. So you have guys that you can trade uh, as trade targets. You have guys that can fill in with inevitable injuries, ideally short-term injuries, but injuries happen. Um, all of which, all of which have options remaining. So you can shuttle them as well. That's nine really solid starting pitchers to use from with some upside, uh, and a great starting five to start the season. I, a top five rotation to start the season. Yeah. I, That's I that McClanahan, Glasnow, Eflin, Rasmussen, Springs. That is a top five rotation in the league right now what what would be the other four i mean i think i think dodgers have to be in there whoever whoever gets Degrom probably slots (laughs) in (laughs) probably just alone um you know i haven't haven't looked on fan graphs by the way they're still doing the ranking and obviously things change as free agents are signed but by pitching war the rays were just behind the the marlins uh there were six and five so they just with this almost certainly are moving up a spot. I guess with Verlander and DeGrom still like on the market, it's really hard to try to determine who has the best rotation. That will shift some stuff. Yeah. If, say the Yankees were to sign Verlander. I, I would say Cole Verlander, Nestor Severino. That's, that's in the top five. Uh, the Braves. If the Mets I'd can the get Braves. DeGrom back, that's, that's still probably a top five. Braves very deep. They they could be top five. I think the Mariners can make a case. I think there's a lot of teams that make a case, but I I, I put the Rays right up there. I think I think they're just a team that, as of right now, I just think they they are a really solid blend of high floor, high ceiling. When it comes to that, I think you, I think there's very few rotations that would have two starting pitchers as talented as McClanahan and Glassnow can be when healthy, but then also deep. I think you have teams like the Yankees that have maybe, you know, if you have your Cole, that's, that's like a number one guy. That's a top five guy in the league, but it gets thin after that. I think you have the Marlins, uh, Sandy Alcantara, and pa- Pablo Lopez are really, really good. We saw some cool stuff from Edward Cabrera. Um, but but again, after Sandy, that does get a little thinner. Same with the Dodgers as well. If, if Until Walker Bueller gets back, I think you have some, some good starters, but maybe not as deep. So I think there is a interesting case to be made for a lot of things, but I, I would say right now, since unless the Rays trade any of these top five starters. And I don't really anticipate that maybe Springs, but I I think the Rays know that pitching and injuries is such a huge part of the game that it really will take a lot to move any pitcher. Yeah, definitely. And, but you know, a year from now, Tyler glass now, when he's set to be owed $25 million, 
I think we've all kind of, if we haven't come to terms, we will at some point that like very good chance he's traded before the, you know, his contract expires after the 2024 season. Um, But having a guy on a guaranteed deal in Zach Eflin, I think kind of helps solidify that rotation moving forward. Even if you have to deal, do even if you have to trade Glass now, or say you do trade Taj Bradley to try to get Sean Murphy or someone else um, in the coming weeks and months, so I think it's a, a really good move, and it shows the Rays are willing to play ball. Um, they're they're going to get guys that are major league proven. That was one thing that you know I called the front office out for last year, like they were banking on too many guys that had never done it in the big leagues, and, and Zach Eflin has, and I think there's. There's only room for him to improve. Last question before we go to break. 40-man roster now. You need a, you need an open space. Luke Rayleigh, I think, is probably the odd man out here. He made it through the, the rounds of cuts. <laughs> um, but no real path to big league playing time unless there are multiple injuries. And I don't I don't think they're getting ready to get rid of Calvin Fauché yet. I, I think Sean Armstrong is safe. I, I can't see them cutting ties with anyone else. I think... Luke Rayleigh probably has the least value. He seems like the easiest, easiest to slot in. Yes, of course, we trade for Sean Murphy tomorrow and we make the 40 man moves and it all works itself out. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that seems like the most likely, um, by the way, just before we head to the break, I did finally bring up, uh, the, uh, fan graphs depth charts chart right now. So right now by pitching, they have with Zach Eflin now in, they have the Braves as the number one pitching rotation uh, by, by their own pitching metric. Brewers, number two, Phillies, number three, Rays, number four, um, very close by and just ahead of the Yankees and then Padres, Mets. Again, with a lot of things to, to shake out with two huge pitchers on the market still um, that will that will shift a lot of things and three actually, I mean, Carlos Rodon would yeah. be a huge impact to a lot of teams as well. Um, but yeah, yeah. So I, I, uh, it, interesting stuff also about uh, glass. Now I know some people will talk about like this, this could mean, Oh, they'll trade Tyler glass. Now here's the thing. If you're going to offer $45 million to Jacob deGrom for a one-year deal, you don't have to convince Tyler Glasson to take a one-year $25 million deal next year. Yeah. You've already done it. You've already done the negotiation. (laughs) You get a one-year $25 million. That's even cheap. That's $20 million cheaper than DeGrom for a guy that could potentially give you DeGrom-esque performance. So I wouldn't be so sure. When you say DeGrom-esque performance, do you mean like 80 innings pitched in a season or (laughs) – Domination of the single A Cardinals. <laughs> uh, yeah, on a rehab assignment. Uh, actually, yes, to everything above. Really. That's not a shot, shot at either the, of those guys. Like the brightest know. stars shine bright. They don't necessarily. They're here for a, a a good time, not a long time. And to be fair, Glasnow's only hit eighty innings twice in a season. So Degrom's done it a few more times. Anyways, we'll go to break. We'll, and when we come back, we'll talk about the rest of the you know free agent market, including the starting pitching and what this signing does. There's been a few other signings, but now it feels like the stove is hot and there's going to be more moves. Uh, so we'll be right back on Raise Your Voice. And we're back on Raise Your Voice here with Darby Robinson. Darby, talking about 
the, the free agent market, now that the deals are coming hot and fast, we saw Jose Abreu sign a three-year contract with the Houston Astros. Mike Clevenger went to the Chicago White Sox on a one-year deal. Carlos Santana, Santana with a one-year deal to Pittsburgh after they just traded for Jimon Choi and had brought in Luan Diaz, although he was just designated for assignment. And then uh, today, you know, we get Matthew Boyd and, and Zach Eflin. So none of the, the real big chips have, have fallen. You know, Aaron Judge, uh, Jacob deGrom, Justin Verlander, those guys are still out there, although we are getting closer to the winter meetings. Um, but three years, $40 million for Zach Eflin. It's basically an identical deal that Tyler Anderson got to go to the Angels. He got three years, $39 million. Uh, that is, you know, for, for that caliber of starting pitcher, the market, uh, which, mm-hmm. you know, it, it is going up as it always will. Um, but I'm kind of curious now, what does this do for guys like a Nathan Avaldi, who at their best, you know, maybe they're not that much better than guys like Eflin and, and Alexander, but we know what Avaldi's capable of and he can get back to that with a new team. It's probably worth way more than a three year, $40 million contract. Yeah, I, I think he's an interesting case because you he hasn't been as good recently, but it ha, it's not that long removed from him being pretty spectacular. Um, the injury history is definitely a little concerning. You might be thinking, okay, is the arm, how, how much juice is left in the arm? But definitely one of those interesting guys that like, that, that kind of, maybe third tier, you know, like the three, four starter, like your Tyler Anderson and your, your Zach Eflin, that three, four guy that can be a difference maker pitcher in a rotation, but isn't, you know, necessarily the ace or, or the, the two, um, but could perform at that level of all these interesting though, because I think it's, it's, it's where like the name, the name value kind of thing, right? He has a bigger name value than Tyler Anderson. But league-wise, you can clearly see people believe in Tyler Anderson more. Like, I, I don't think you're going to see a three-year deal for Evaldi. I think you're going to see a pretty nice one-year deal, though. I think he's going to – I would I would believe in Evaldi on a one-year deal over Mike Clevenger. Mm, yeah. uh, like, I think I think the base – I think the floor has definitely been set, right? Like, your, your Clevenger and your, your, um, your Boyds. Uh, I think the ceiling has not – quite been set yet i think we have the the three four range is is in that like you know anderson efflin but like we have not seen like i, I obviously carlos rodon is probably not going to sign until uh de signs because then you can say like okay not obviously that many years but per average and, and you know kind of doing the math that way but i think that's does does carlos rodon get 40 million dollars average annual value Ooh, over how I, many years? It, I, I, it would have to be no more than two. 40 million, two years, like, t- like, so, so if you 80. Got 80 million, two years, 80 million. I mean, for that, I wow. think DeGrom would have to hit 50, which isn't crazy to think of. Not crazy. DeGrom is, I'm so curious to see what DeGrom gets. He's obviously the best pitcher in, in baseball, but he's, there's so many injuries. I mean, someone's we, gonna wild like someone's gonna wildly. It, it's hard to say overpay because, like you said, best pitcher in baseball. 
with the injury, someone's going to go like 5-250 or something crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I can, it's not, that's, that's not unreasonable. And then, and then if you're like 5-250 or do I get Carlos Rodon 280? Yeah. And then if it doesn't work out, he's gone. It's two, two years. years. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're like, that was a huge chunk of change, but I, I think that's the thing that, that could be wild is the shorter term, bigger money. But if you're Carlos Rodon, do you, you really kind of want the longer term? So maybe you, you drop that down to like, you know, four year deal, maybe 120. It's like 30 million per. And to be clear, I'm not predicting five to 50 for the ground. I'm thinking like, that's probably like the ceiling. Like that's like, yeah, that's probably like going if, above. If that. that offer, if, if that offer comes out, that's that that's going to set the market. Yeah. Cause then you're paying him through his like age 40 season. <laughs> That'd be a rough. That's a, that, that might be a disaster. A that might be a, that might be a disaster, but also that's such a tempting disaster. Yeah. Um, you it's, know, Verlander is going to be another interesting one. Um, older. Yeah. I, I mean, no more when, than two when, years, right? When will the year? Yeah. I would imagine two years. I also, I feel like with Verlander, he probably isn't looking to lock in a lengthy deal. Right. I think yeah. he's going to probably want high, high, high average short term. Yeah. And probably no options on that. Like no, like option no. for a third. I mean, he'll be 42 going like, I think this is his last contract. I'm kind of curious. Actually, I actually have to I haven't even like looked it up. Like, I'm curious, like what like uh, Roger Clemens' last contracts were, or Randy Johnson, because yeah. that's because that's a similar thing. Like a guy that's like this is a Hall of Famer at the top of his game, kind of still. But what? How? When does it end? Like you, you are right at the point where if if they have a terrible year next year, it's not shocking. Like age eventually catches up to everybody. But I mean, just looking at this Eflin deal, I know that guys like Chris, like Chris Bassett's going to be a very rich man. Mm-hmm. Um, like Andrew Heaney might be a very rich man. <laughs> um, I think you should try that again. Go, go for, go for Andrew Heaney again. I'd like to see him go back to the Dodgers, but that would probably... I could see that they, they just lost to Anderson. So Kershaw's back, right? We don't know the terms, but he's back mm. with the Dodgers. Okay. Yes. And so maybe Heaney doesn't go there. Not sure. I mean, it, it's the the starting pitching market. You know, it really has been set now. And what does a guy like Noah Syndergaard get? What does Sean Manaya get? Kyle Gibson. Mm-hmm. So many guys that names. are not like you've got your top tier to Grom Verlander, and I will put Rodon in there. Um, but then that next tier of just guys that are all going to get at least 15 mil a year mm-hmm. and, and a bunch of them over 20. Yeah. It's the pitching market. I, I think there's a reason why I think you're looking at like, you know, people were with the Matthew Boyd thing, like one year, 10 million. And it's like, that's crazy. Like he went to the, the Mariners and he didn't even get like used in the playoffs at all. Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of an inter- interesting sign. I don't know if that was just some, I don't, I, I don't necessarily agree with the usage of some of the bullpen pieces that the Mariners used. Um, just in general, their approach to Jordan Alvarez in general, but uh, it, I think the, ten, the one year, $10 million deal seems shocking until we see 
the next deals, right? Like I think like Zach Eflin, three years, 40 seems like, wow, that's big. But wait until you see what Chris Bassett gets. Yeah. <laughs> wait until you see Car- when Carlos Rodon gets a two-year, $80 million deal, then you're like, oh, okay, never mind. This is, this was the base. Yeah. Like this is the baseline, like 110 for, for Matthew Boyd becomes like, oh, that's, that's standard. That's like below market rate. So before we take our second break, and I did just come up with it with a raise your voice that I'll, I'll wait to put you on the spot with Darby. Um, oh boy. Let's move to the position player side. So now the Rays have got, you know, barring any further trades, I don't expect them to sign uh, any starting pitchers to major league deals um, for the rest of the offseason. Uh, I would be surprised. I would be surprised. But hey, I was surprised by this one tonight. So who knows? Um, first base, and I hate saying first base. Like, I don't know. My idea for first base is just throw someone over there, uh, money ball style. But I, I'm looking at guys like Brandon Belt, Josh Bell. Those are really the two guys I'm looking at that are true first basemen. Darby, interest in, in either of those guys? Is there is there another bat that's not an outfielder? Because I want to go to that in a second. But another bat that maybe could play first base or shift your lineup around in a way that first base is now covered? Uh, no, Bell, Belt's my guy. Okay. Belt's my guy. Bell, if the Rays signed Bell... I think that would be an interesting sign. I would I would have to rethink some of my priors and look a little bit closer. Right now, I, I just see a lot of I see a lot of um, peaks and valleys. I see somebody that that gets hot and then gets very not, and and I worry about that, and I worry about how much that would cost. So I, I think I would. I, I think Josh Bell is a is a is a solid bat. I think he'd be a really I mean more than solid. He's more than solid bat. He's he's a potentially impact bat for the team. He can bat left-handed. I I, I think that's somebody that absolutely could be an impact player, but I don't think he signs for the deal that I would want him to. Like the the valuation I have on him is not probably what the market rate would be. And so with free agency, you have to win the auction a lot of times. Uh, so I don't know if Bell's my guy. And I look at Belt and I think not just from a cheap perspective, but like, again, he's a lot of health injuries, but like very solid defensively at first, extremely good bat, like consistently great bat when healthy. Like the last couple of years has been like his best version of himself and and it's also a very patient bat who would just produce enough power in a place that really saps power in san francisco so i think he's somebody that could be a really interesting guy outside of san francisco and even if he's not a huge power guy we the rays have seen with like yandy diaz you don't need to hit for you know 30 home runs to be a fantastic impact bat in the lineup and he is a guy that is just an on-base machine um, Brandon belt feels like a perfect, I feel like I've wanted Brandon belt for like a decade now. I've like, there've had so many fake trades being like, how did the Rays get Brandon belt? Uh, that it would be really fun to still, still get him. I know he is older. He's been injured quite a bit the last couple of years, but I, I think Brandon belt's a really, really good. If you're going for a, if you're going to sign a guy to be first base exclusive, I, I would go belt. 
I am interested to see what the years would look like on a bell on a belt deal. Um, the injuries are concerning. Like when he was healthy, like last year he was incredible. This year when when he played, not so much. Not sure how much that was due to injury, but it's definitely a, a gamble I'd like to take. He definitely fits into that role where he is going to be a first base DH. He is that left-handed bat. If you go right-handed bat, Darby, do you do you think about an Evan Longoria reunion? I don't know if we've if we've really gone into that much detail into a potential Longoria reunion. I don't think it's likely, but it has been talked about. Um, how would you feel about bringing Evan back? I think emotionally, obviously, I would love it. Like I don't even know how to process if I saw the you know Jeff Passan tweet you know, Ray sign Evan Longoria to a one-year deal. It, I think like I would immediately love it from an emotional side. Um, I don't know as an impact player at this point, if that's the right way to use that roster space. And I think the hardest thing, the hardest thing for both Longoria and like the team is that Evan Longoria, the player now as like a left-handed masher, a guy that could be part of a platoon, play some third, play some first, play some DH. Uh, I think they could have a nice impact, but batting lower in the lineup, his name is still Evan Longoria. He still is going to wear number three. He's still going to hear the tantric violin song, uh, but it's not going to be the same player that people remember. And I think that could be hard because if you're signing like a, like a Todd Frazier type, player for a role that's fine but it's really hard when he is a franchise icon who's going to have a statue at the new stadium and he's going to have to play a much different role than you know number three hitter taught you know one of the the key parts of the the lineup but i would trust the rate if the rays are bringing him back they're not a sentimental club in a lot of ways they don't make they don't make moves just to appease the fans and a lot of people would say they do the opposite of that uh so i think it would be a move that they if they did that i think they would have been very clear talking with with longoria to to kind of assess like what his role would be how he would impact the team if he agreed to that too i think then it could work um i still think the race should aim a little higher but i i i think the Rays having a rotation of people that are all um, kind of utilized in that way, I, I wouldn't hate it. And I think from an emotional standpoint, I would definitely kind of love to see a reunion, but it, it probably isn't the, the best or number one, two or three best baseball moves the Rays could make. Uh, last guy I want to talk about, unless there, I mean, there are a couple of names, but Brandon Nimmo, has been, I think, the popular name in the clubhouse. And when I say clubhouse, I don't mean the Rays clubhouse, just the the, the Twitter clubhouse, if, if that's what Elon Musk calls it now. Um, but Brandon Nimmo, a guy that again, he's gonna he's gonna cost a lot of money. Like the Rays are gonna have to pay him. They're gonna have to give him the years. Um, he is, I think, gonna be one of the more sought after left-handed hitting outfielders in. Um, maybe the most in terms of strictly left-handed hitting outfielders. I can't think a uh, Conforto. Did he even play last year? Conforto? He did not. He, he missed all of last year. 
So again, those two guys, both you know, both Mets, former Mets. So I don't know. Is is it possible that the Rays are able to outbid some of these other teams and bring in a Brandon Nimmo? It doesn't seem like it would be possible, does it? <laughs> uh, I. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't imagine especially like a five year deal to to outbid um, a guy that I mean it's possible I, I guess but it just it doesn't I, I would be I think it would be very shocking I would be very I would be floored it would be a very different type of raise move now Brandon Nimmo the player is an extremely raised type of player he gets on base a ton he doesn't strike out actually that much. Uh, and he plays pretty darn solid outfield defense. Um, he would be a impact bat. He would be somebody that could help you out in the outfield. Uh, I think an outfield defense with uh, Jose Siri, Brandon Nimmo, and Randy Rosarena with Manuel Margot mixed in is fantastic. You can mix and match those guys. Nimmo can play some center field. He He's probably better in the corners, but you can also move anybody around. That's pretty fantastic. I just, I don't know, a Scott Boris client, mm. multiple year deal, probably the best option past Aaron Judge if somebody's looking for an impact outfielder. See, so I was waiting, going back to Eflin for just a second. I was waiting. So remember when the Rays, you know, were interested in Juan Soto, as was everybody this summer. And when they <laughs> failed to trade for Juan Soto, they went ahead and got David Peralta. And I don't remember what writer tweeted that out. Uh, once the Rays decided that they couldn't get Juan Soto, they went to uh, um, David Peralta. I was waiting for the tweet today, like, oh, once the Rays decided they could not get Jacob deGrom, they went with Zach Eflin. <laughs> so, yes, once the Rays and decide they can't get Aaron Judge. <laughs> they go to Brandon Nimmo. Uh, yeah, I, I think more than likely, more than likely, I think the option, if you if the Rays are looking for an impact left-handed hitting outfielder, I think Michael Brantley mm. is a perfect choice. Uh, I think Conforto is interesting because of the fact that he has, I mean, like not too long ago, he was a phenomenal like yeah. outfielder. He could, he could defend, he could run, he could hit, like he was really good coming off of a full injury, the, you know, having like a, a year as a, like a one-year deal is just more than likely what he's going to, get to kind of like prove it like that he's still great and then just free agency again um i think that makes a lot of sense but i i just think michael brantley again feels very much like a raise guy the other option that also feels very raisy is is mitch hanniger um as a solid defensive outfielder great right-handed bat can mash lefties but isn't like bad against righties um strong outfield arm like somebody that can that could be a really good everyday right fielder for them but also maybe mix in some some dh time as well i look at i, I would be shocked at brandon nimmo um almost almost as shocking as uh, aaron judge but it would be almost less because it'd be like aaron judge takes a one-year 50 million dollar deal the the bryce harper contract like he you know i think the rays have that like here you go if you want to do it for one year 50 million let's let's roll but you're going to get, you know, you don't take a one-year deal after breaking the American League home run record. No. You you take as many years as you can uh, get, and he will. So 
good hey, for him. He lives in Tampa. You never know. He, yeah. It's, but then he'd have to cross the might, bridge just, to get to the stadium. and <laughs> he, he just can't do it, yeah. Nobody he, he, wants to do that. <laughs> not even Aaron Judge. Not for $50 million. He won't do it. Um, no, so I, I think if I'm looking at the outfield, I think Brandon Nimmo would be an interesting impact guy, but I just don't see it happening. But I think Michael Brantley and, and Mitch Hanniger are two really interesting options that I think the Rays could, could, could try for. Um, and I don't think either would be, that's the type of like Mitch Hanniger, you could, you could see him taking like a, like a three-year deal, but that could be another one. That's like a little bit pricier than the Rays normally do, but still get a guy that, that I think could be a really good impact bat. I think Brantley's probably more like a one, two year deal. Um, but, but both I either not, they wouldn't take both, but I think either of those guys um, would be a, a welcome addition. So those are the, my top three, like free agent in the realistic range are belt uh, Hanniger and uh, Brantley. And if the Rays can come away with one or even two of those guys, that would be huge. I'd be like one of the biggest free agency halls the Rays have ever, ever had. But I also think, the most likely outcome is the Rays look at like a trade and somehow, I don't know, Yanni Chirinos goes to the St. Louis Cardinals for Juan Yepes and that's your starting first baseman. Oh, oh. I like that. I like that a lot. We're talking about all these great left-handed bats and at the end of the day- Ray, Rays like- trade trade uh, Jeffrey Springs for and 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 like uh, another big uh, prospect for Lars Newtbar. Like that, like a, see how see how many uh, outfielders that the Rays can steal from the Cardinals before the Cardinals stop picking up the Rays' phone calls. Yeah, I have a feeling they might be a little reluctant after the Rosarena trade. Uh, we're talking about all these great left-handed bats, but you know, at the end of the day, we're gonna we're gonna get Dominic Smith, and, and we're gonna like it, right? We're gonna just have to end up, you know, with him as the DH, and him and Harold Ramirez just platooning and. It's it's not going to be fun for anybody. <laughs> First base DH platoon of Harold Ramirez and Dom Smith. All right. Well, uh, we'll take one more quick break. And on the other side, uh, Darby and I will raise our voice about, uh, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm going to say that. I, I'm going to put Darby on the spot, even though um, I, I think he, he, I mean, he might have an idea of what's coming. And we're back on Raise Your Voice. And, and to wrap up today's show, I, I wanted to piggyback off of a roundtable that was posted uh, this past week on DRaysBay.com. And the title, the headline that uh, I think some people on Twitter uh, took offense to, I think. Uh, Danny Russell put out this roundtable that I think almost all of us at DRays Bay or a good chunk of us replied to, do the Rays regret the Wander Franco deal? Darby, I'll, I'll just... You, you can re- reiterate what you said in the article. You can add to it, but... Do the Rays regret the Wander Franco deal at this day and this time? I don't think they regret it at all. I think they would ink the same deal uh, again, if given the chance with, with Wander. I think there is obviously some creeping doubt just because you, you want to see that, that one big, um, uh, you know, healthy year impact year but at the end of the day a lot of the injuries that occurred were kind of flukes right broken handmate bone is always a really fluke injury it's swinging and just you know the hand has a lot of tiny bones it happens Mm -hmm. uh some of the lower body injuries again it's like conditioning it's it's also just learning how to 
perform. This is literally a growing human being who is still incredibly young. And when he has played, he has played very, very well. He had a couple of down, uh, you know, weeks this year, but then also had some really hot weeks and, and like kind of showcased why he's one of the most exciting, uh, you know, shortstops potential guys in the, in the game. He's got a projected 5.3 fan graphs war one of the the top shortstop projections in all of baseball and there's a reason for that like this this guy is still with only just a handful of games in his his career has already showcased upper level talent he's already showcased next level ability yeah and prime wise you're probably still looking like three years away at least, from what yeah. he really could be. I mean, when you look at it, you look at like some through the history books, you know, we had an awesome comment. I forget who, who said it um, in the D-Ray Bay's comment for, the, for that article, uh, but like kind of mentioned Barry Larkin, who, who kind of ha- has actually been a, a bit of a comp for the, for the older fans um, as somebody who's like a guy that, that came up was good, not great, but then turned in a Hall of Fame career. Um, lots of contact, uh, not a lot of Ks, putting the ball in play, but also then got, you know, developing some good gap to gap power. Obviously, we've talked about Jose Ramirez as somebody who's a uh, good friends with Wander and, and potentially a uh, kind of the algorithm for what, what Wander could be as somebody who is, who is, actually much worse in his first couple cu- couple cups of coffee in the majors and then turned into one of the finest hitters in all of the American League. Wander Franco, whether he is develops more power or not, is already a guy that could be a perennial five to six win shortstop. Yeah. That is somebody that you would like to have for the next decade in your franchise. Maybe down the line, he has to move to third base. Maybe he moves to second base. That still gives you a huge impact, perennial all-star level talent. I think there is risk to that deal. I think there might be some concern, but I think it's something that you absolutely do not regret. You do that trade or you do that signing. Mm -hmm. You make that risk with the money and the years, uh, 10 out of 10 times, 100 out of 100 times, 1,000 out of 1,000 times. And I think there's more than likely the deal, if it ends poorly, would be basically breaking even than, mm. than, than a complete bust. And I think that's why you do that deal, is that it's still somebody that could be, if he becomes a annual injury-plagued, you know, two to four win player, it's, it's probably not worth the big contract, but that's still a really solid guy that can play better than average defense. Yeah. Um, the I, likelihood I, that happens is low, though. I think there's much more outcomes where he becomes a 5-6, maybe even puts up an 8-10 to 10 win season. Some MVP-type seasons, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, how far down the line, though, I mean, I guess it depends how you know these next years play out, but when do you start considering and i'm sure they have considered it but when do you start seriously considering a position change 
for Wander Franco because I mentioned in the roundtable that I think this is the year where you really start to look at it. Maybe Taylor Walls comes into his own at the plate, and you already know he's an, an amazing fielder. Do you want him to be your shortstop and Wander Franco to play alongside him at third base or maybe second base? Uh, those are really the only two positions that are available to him. You're not going to DH him because Wander, like we've seen him, like he is very good in the field. Would it be that much better for his legs to play him at third or to play him at second? Like, I, I don't know. Maybe you just keep him at short, but. Maybe this is the year where, you know, you need to get him off his feet more and Taylor Walls becomes that that shortstop for you. Frankly, I do not want to have more Taylor Walls <laughs> as the game plan for the future of the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh I no, I think I think I think the question becomes when there is a starting caliber shortstop who is much better defensively mm. that you want to give 450 plate appearances plus two is when you start con- to consider that. I so think Taylor one. Walls is a very solid potential utility guy. If he reaches, if he becomes the Taylor Walls that we saw in the minor leagues, I think he becomes a Joey Wendell type impact guy who's a you know, two to three win guy who can be more valuable playing everywhere than necessarily somebody you want to plug in 500 plate appearances at shortstop. Now, right now, Wander Franco, until he becomes a liability at shortstop, or you have somebody who is a humongous uh, impact who you want to get 500 plus plate appearances to, or at least 450 plus plate appearances to at shortstop, I think you are fine leaving Wander uh, at at short. I think he's been a non-negative. How's that for a double negative? Yeah. He has not been a negative impact shortstop. And so as long as he is a league average shortstop, that's where you leave him. Okay. Yeah, maybe, I mean, I don't know, maybe uh, Parson Williams. Um, he's still only like 19. Um and that's, and that's right. So like a Carson Williams, if in three years, he's knocking on the door three years from now, you've had more time to see is, is Wander hurting you at shortstop is Carson Williams looking like the real deal. Then that's when you maybe make the, the switch. Right. But I think until he's negatively impacting the defense, and or there is the the next guy. The, the Rays end up signing Trey Turner, and they just open up the pocketbook entirely. Okay, then you can move Wander over to third. Yeah, but outside of Trey Turner, like none of the other. If the Rays sign any of the other shortstops in this class, I don't move Wander. Sander Bogarts is not better no. defensively. Uh, who else is out there? Uh, Carlos Correa is better defensively, but I think he you you would probably just keep him uh at he would just move him to third mm-hmm. he wouldn't sign to be a third baseman but you get the gist uh trey turner is i think the only one that i would say is mm. is an impact that i'd want at shortstop i think carlos gray is probably better but i don't think you necessarily make the move i think you you carlos gray is never coming to the race <laughs> 
None of these people are. None of these shortstops are because the because the Rays. I think the Rays have. We have our shortstop. <laughs> they already have the shorts. They already have their franchise shortstop, right? It's it's yeah. you're not going to sign. I mean, like that's the thing, right? Is like Trey Turner wants to have at least the shortstop job and a ton of years and, and money. Carlos Correa did his one year deal. Now he wants the paycheck, and he deserves it. Uh, Bogarts is the guy that probably should move to third or second, but we'll see where he ends up. I don't know. I think it's, it's one of those situations where I don't think the Rays have like walls, Bruhan, uh, uh, Asabe. None of these guys are, are move wander off of short worthy because if it's a rotational play at shortstop i don't think that's better than just having wander kind of locked into to that position um i think it's easier to probably find third baseman that can play the hot corner than it is to find shortstops to fill in there yeah um i mean i think at the end of the day i think we were all probably a little naive to think that wander like we were all tricked right we were all Thinking Wander Franco, surefire MVP candidate in his age 21 season. Um, and, and who knows, maybe he was good enough, but the injuries, you know, prevented him from taking off. But I think that that first taste of Wander Franco in the big leagues we got in 2021, uh, we, were all, we were all a little ahead of ourselves. There's still a lot of years left on this deal. There's still a, a lot of time for Wander Franco to develop into the player we think he can. But like Darby mentioned, like we've already seen it. We've already seen he's capable. I'm not worried about him being capable. I think the injury concerns are real. I think you'd be, you know, weird to not be a little like, ah, I hope this goes well. Um, but the ability, not a question at all. Um, the ability to, to hit, the ability to play shortstop or any other position if he is indeed moved. Not a question right now. And at the end of the day, like this is still like a really, really good deal. He has signed well below market value through his prime. Uh, and he's going to be a ray for like a good chunk, if not all of this contract. And like, who knows what's going to happen? I don't know, five years from now with the state of the franchise, maybe they're able to continue extending him. And maybe like Barry Larkin, it, you know, it was a career Cincinnati Red. Maybe Wander Franco is a career Tampa Bay Ray. So, um, yeah, definitely not regretting this deal. I agree with you there, Darby. Any other thoughts on on on? Wander? I think I think the the real key here is look at his career numbers so far. But it's been two seasons, 153 games. This tw- year, 20 and 21 season, 153 games, which is just about one full season. 13 home runs, 282 batting average, 337 on base, 439 slug, 121 WRC plus, worth about 4.7 wins above replacement. 7% walk rate, almost 8% walk rate, 10% K rate. That's a that's a that's an that's a huge impact player. That guy is getting that guy is priced out of the raised price range in free agency that guy's priced out of about 26 other teams in free agency if you have a a 21 year old on the market with those numbers so far even with the injuries so i I think a full season of wander 
and he puts up what he's done so far in his career. And this is definitely still so early. I mean, not many players ever will look back and say his, the peak was actually 20 age 20 season. Right. Uh, that's already great. So yes, injuries, health, big questions, but if that's, if that is a carbon copy for the next 10 years, plays 153 games, 15 or so home runs, 120 uh, WRC plus above average defense, five wins a season. Maybe you want more, but that's still a, a fantastic franchise uh, shortstop. Mm-hmm. All right, Darby. Well, I think that's going to do it for this week's raise your voice. It turned into a, a Zach Eflin instant reaction pod and, I'm I'm getting the hot stove jitters now. I want more moves. I got one ready for ready for another. So uh, thank you for coming on um, on such short notice. I was not expecting a, a free agent signing to be finalized today, but here we are. And uh, thanks for hopping on. Anytime. And uh, can't wait for the winter meetings. And when we can do the DeGrom instant reaction. And yeah, know, exactly. Just exactly. knock it out. Judge will sign on the same day. Judge Degrom to the Rays. Instant reaction. We'll 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 pre-record that after this. After we go off the air. Oh, yeah. So how do you know I already have it? That. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Okay. Well, I look forward to listening to it. <laughs> uh, ref- refreshing that. Uh, th- thank you to everyone who listened. As always, make sure to head on over to dracebay.com for all the great race coverage. And make sure to follow, subscribe on your preferred plat- po- podcast platform. Uh, if I made, you know, if we made any of your Spotify wrapped playlist charts, tag us on, on Twitter, tag me on Twitter at BG Rutherford 99. Um, thank you for your support throughout the year as we head into 2023. And uh, I'll talk to you guys next week.